Uh, it has been a, a joy to be together for our class, and obviously in, in six weeks, we have totally exhausted everything the Bible says about parenting. Uh, no, we have not. We have just scratched the surface of, of things that uh, hopefully are setting our trajectory for uh, what the Lord has called us to, and in both our big picture goals of what we want to be as parents, that we want to be like Christ ourselves, and we're excited to see how the Lord will use the privilege of parenting to shape us and to mold us, and, and we want to be instruments in our, our kids' lives to that end so that they will treasure Christ and, and come to know Him, and, and we want to be faithful to use the tools that God's given us, particularly that of discipline and instruction, uh, of training our kids in in both ways that are corrective, responding when they sin, and, and also just seeking to form them through the, the circumstances and experiences that we, uh, that we give them, and then really instructing them, both formally and informally, every day interacting and engaging with them about the truth of God's Word. And, um, and then the, today we want to finish by thinking about just some of the, the particular issues that we face in, in today's world. You know, every generation faces many of the same challenges as parents, and yet there are also unique things that we face because of when we live and where we live and, and those types of, of realities. And so we just want to think through some of those. You know, those are things that, um, that, that can, can really rattle us as parents, the challenges that we face if we don't keep the big picture and say, hey, we want to keep about what the, the scriptures call us to in priority areas of life and uh, and also, if we, if we don't think about them through the lens of Scripture, we can easily just get swept away by the prevailing thinking of our age. And, and so we want to have our minds renewed. Now, we are talking about some topics that the Scripture doesn't necessarily directly address, but there are principles that we want to try to apply and, and be thoughtful in how we, uh, how we do that. Um, you know, last week we started with the, the issue of gender, which is a uh, an issue we're going to focus on at the conference with our kids program, um, thinking about being boys and girls on purpose, that God designed us that way. And so we were reminded that we need to develop a, a vision for biblical masculinity and femininity. You know, in today's day, it's easy to just look at the, the big gender issues of our culture and say our goal is, you know, just that we keep those things clear. And that is a big issue. But we need to go beyond that to say, what does it look like not just to to call ourselves a boy or a girl, but to be uh, seeking to fulfill God's, uh, God's design and plan for that in our lives. And, and then we've got to recognize the, the attacks that are coming and, and how we seek to, to combat those things as we instruct our kids and interact with them and, and really cultivate that masculinity and femininity, modeling it for our kids and encouraging it as we interact with them and provide a context for them to live and play and, and cultivating it and encouraging it when we see it and teaching and training for it. And, and then we talked about media and technology and the challenges that come through the, the information that is, is so prevalent and so at our fingertips in our world. And, and talked about our understanding how media is intended to both shape us and reflect us. It really feeds us. It's a very self-centered thing in, in driving us more to... Uh, uh, to just be be focused on self, and and we've got to be careful that we aren't just swept away by those things ourselves and our our kids, and and really our role regarding that is is twofold. It's both protecting our kids from what they're being exposed to, 
but it's also preparing and training them. We can't, like if we, if we have a swimming pool, we can't just say, well, we're never going to let you go near water. We've got to prepare you for the reality that at some point you will be near water, and we want to help you to think and, and engage with the message that is being presented. And, and so that really means we've got to do two things. We've got to shape what media and technology influence our, our child's life, and we've got to shape how that media and technology influences our, our children's lives. And, and that means that we want to uh, practically be the authority over our kids' use, be knowledgeable of what's going on, and, and be reasonable and involved with them in, in those ways. And I uh, hope that was, uh, uh, was helpful to begin thinking through those issues. I was talking to one of the, the dads this week who was in our class who just was um, reflecting even now in, in just the last recent days they had been facing issues with, with those very things. And so you may not have faced that this week, but those things will come and will be a, a prevalent part of, of life. And uh, the third issue that I want us to think about beginning today is, is that of evangelizing children. You know, of, of sharing the gospel with kids and calling them to respond in repentance and faith. And, and on the one hand, this is a, a very simple thing that we've already talked about, that our goal is to see our kids respond to Christ. That's our, our desire for them. That's what we're striving for for them. As we discipline, we want to be uh, reminding them of their sin and pointing out their sin so that we can direct them to the hope of the gospel. You know, as we instruct them in the scriptures, we want them to be seeing the overall story of scripture, how, how God's redemption through Christ is the theme of that and, and calling them to respond to the gospel. And yet it's, it's, it's a complicated and challenging issue in, in various ways. And um, there's a, a little booklet, I forgot to grab one on my way up, down at the Welcome Center called Evangelizing Children. It's a document that our elders have put together to try to help navigate some of these things and try to articulate for parents and our children's workers how we, we want to handle some of those things. And, and it, it's one of those issues, like many, where it's, it's a pendulum swing. And you can err on one side or you can swing all the way over and err on a totally different side. And, and we want to try to be, be balanced in our, our thinking. And so I, I just want to highlight first some pitfalls in evangelizing children, some things we want to guard against. You know, obviously, Jesus cares about children and about them knowing him and coming to understand. In fact, he, as the, the disciples were keeping kids from coming to him, you remember the account where where the disciples were hindering kids. He said, no, let the kids come to me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The, the, the faith of a child is what is, uh, is a model for the faith that we are called to have even as, as adults. And so Jesus cared about kids. He wanted them to know him. He says they, they can express the faith that, that is a model of what biblical faith is. Um, and so as we think about them, we've got we've to be uh, be thoughtful and, and guard against some things. The first pitfall that we can have is we can recognize the challenge of rightly evangelizing children and overreact by really failing to communicate the gospel to them. You know, we can err with kids by not telling them faithfully and regularly the gospel. And some of that may be because of uh, an intentional thing that says, you know what, it's easy to uh, do what our next pitfall is, which is coerce a response 
in kids, and so we don't want to do that, so we're not going to tell them the gospel. We're not going to really encourage a response because we want to guard against something else. We, we can't go there. It, it may be simply because of our own indifference. You know, there are parents who that's not their chief goal for their kids, or at least it's not what we keep as our chief goal, where we are more concerned with how they behave and with the, the outward expressions that, uh, that we hope to be true of them such that we don't see the gospel. It, it may be that we're communicating something to them about Jesus, but we're not communicating the full truth of the gospel. So if all we're doing is telling our kids that Jesus loves you, we haven't communicated the full gospel. Now we've communicated something that's true, but not the, the full truth or it may be because of our own ignorance that we, we fail to do this. So we've got to be committed to say we want to teach our kids the gospel. We want to express that regularly and often and in totality to them. At the same time, we've got to be careful not to coerce a response to the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians briefly, chapter 13. Paul uses some phrases that remind us about the nature of children in places like 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child, and when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now, that's not, not rocket science, but when you're, when you're a kid... You think a certain way, you express ideas a certain way, you reason a certain way, and as you grow older, you move past some of those things. And, and so Paul makes the point that there are, uh, are some inherent limitations to uh, a child's thinking and reasoning and response. 1 Corinthians 14.20, Paul again says, Beloved, do not be children in your thinking, Yet an evil be infants. I think we have some idea of what he, he's thinking by that. In Ephesians 4.14, 4, he says to, that we're to be no longer children tossed here and there by every kind of doctrine. So kids, one of the realities about them is that they can easily bounce from one thing to another instead of having a, a firm conviction. You know, you might see that with a, a, a child when they're in the context of of friends and you know if you ever are, are with multiple kids and you say like where do we want to go to to eat and you know one friend says something and then it's or, or you're ordering at a restaurant and one friend says something and then they all want that and then another friend maybe says no actually I'm going to get this and now oh no we're all going that way and and it's like oh well we're never going to decide unless we decide together so I'll just order for it or whatever but so kids can 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 very easily be swayed to think different things uh, now, that doesn't mean they will always be swayed to think how you want them to. Uh, they, they often will rebel against what you think, but uh, they, will, they will oftentimes bounce back and forth between different things. And so that means in the context of evangelism that it's possible in the right set of circumstances for a child to make an outward expression or profession of faith when that may not reflect the the true conviction of their heart, or it may not reflect a full understanding of what it is that they are doing. Have you ever had your kids say something, and you 
you kind of probe a little deeper and you find out they, they are saying something that sounds intelligent about something, but they really have no idea what they're talking about. They're just kind of repeating the words that they've heard, and, and that can be true in, in this. You know, if your goal is simply to get your child to profess faith in Christ, my guess is that 99% of, of you with your children can do that. You could say something to them like, hey, let me tell you about what heaven and hell are like. Here's heaven. It's this great place. You know, no sin, no sickness, no death. You know, let me tell you what hell's like. Fire and punishment. Now, how many of you want to go to heaven? Okay, how many of you want to go to hell? Well, if you want to go to heaven instead of hell, there's good news that Jesus died for you. And you just pray this prayer with me or profess faith in Christ and we'll sign you up for heaven, right? I mean, you can, you can express things in that way or coerce them, as it were, to, to get them to say, I want that. <laughs> That's where I want to go. And so we do have to be very careful that we are not inadvertently manipulating or coercing our children to respond in, in a way that is, is childish and not reflecting an understanding of the truth and a heart that is, uh, is, is really submitting to, to Christ and, and recognizing their sin. Now, at the same time, does that mean that your children have to be able to articulate the gospel as fully as you can in order to genuinely be saved? Well, no. There's a, there's a growth and a maturing that comes as we understand more of Scripture, as we age. How an a, a eight-year-old articulates the truth of the gospel will not be as developed as how you or I may articulate the truth of the gospel, having uh, learned and grown in the way that we have. So we have to, to communicate the gospel clearly, to teach it, to instruct in it, to urge a response to it, and yet be careful coercing a response to the gospel. At the same time, then, we, we do have to guard against, in that, um, not encouraging them. We'll talk more about that in a, in a, a second. But a third uh, related uh, pitfall is, is improperly assuring the child of their salvation. And again, this is related to, um, to coercing, but it's, it's also uh, unique in that you know, it's, it's possible, even likely, that at some point you will have interaction with your child where you are not coercing them. You are just teaching the truth and, and expressing that to them and, and reminding them of all that God has done for them and their need for Christ, and your child will express a, a response to that. And they, will, they may say to you, maybe as they're weeping even, that, that I need to be saved from my sin and I, I'm responding to the gospel and, and uh, that is my, my hope. And, and so in that, we want to be careful that we are encouraging that and that we are supporting that and that we are, are, uh, are cultivating growth in that while at the same time recognizing that time for any profession of faith will demonstrate the realities of that, and we want their assurance long-term to come from the biblical fruit that's displayed in their life, not from the fact that mom or dad told them, yay, now you're a Christian. It, it, we don't want, when our kids are, are five years down the road, they, and, and they're thinking, why am I a Christian, for the answer to be, because I did something with my dad, and he told me, now I'm a Christian. No, we want them to draw assurance from the scriptures. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. 
where we, we see that assurance for any believer comes not from looking back at something that was done in the past, but it comes from the present reality of faith and the, the fruit that that re- regeneration is bearing in a person's life. And this is true for kids or adults, but the reality for kids is it takes some time to demonstrate that in a context where it's not uh, under the, uh, the, the full authority of, of the parents. One author puts it this way. He says, if I gave you a seed to plant in the ground and told you it was a certain type of flower, you would not know for sure it was so, even if it began to sprout, you would know more when it put out leaves and you would be even more sure when the bud appears. But you would know for certain when it blooms. And he goes on and says, can a children be converted at a young age? Yes. Can we know with certainty? Often not, because there's a, a, a longer term demonstration of the, the reality of that that gives greater conviction. But in, in, a, in passages like Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 21, beginning there. Paul is writing to a church. Now, Paul's assumption in writing to this church is that the people he is writing to are what? Well, that they are believers, that they are Christians. He's talked to them in in those terms. He says they are saints and faithful brethren. You know, they are ones who uh, um, he's heard of their faith and love. You know, these are people that he, his, if you ask him, hey, are you writing to a a group of of Christians, he would say yes. But as he writes to them, look at verse 21. He says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, this was their past, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Amen. This is what you were. This is what God has done. He has reconciled to you through Christ. That is your hope. But then he adds this little phrase, verse 23. He says, this is true of you. If indeed, you what? You continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. It's fascinating. He says, this is true of you. This is what God has done. And you can have confidence in this if what? If you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. You see, he, he didn't want them to think, you know, a year down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road, that, oh yeah, we're confident in what Christ has done because Paul sent us a letter and called us saints, <laughs> So I'm, a, I'm in. No, he wanted them to, to say, I'm in because I am presently continuing in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, does that mean that a, a true believer can never have any doubt? No, it doesn't. It just means your assurance and my assurance comes from what I am thinking about the gospel and Jesus, my faith and confidence in him today. And so if your child professes faith on Monday, and Friday, they are no longer clinging to the hope of the gospel, should they feel assurance? No, they shouldn't. Because Paul says it's if you continue in the faith, firmly established and How about you? If on Friday, you're thinking, you know, I'm not so sure about Jesus. Uh, it's not really my hope. I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
I'm a good guy. I'm better than that guy. Should you have assurance of your salvation? No, you shouldn't because you have not continued in the faith firmly established and steadfast. Now, does that mean that you're not a believer? Possibly. It may mean that you're having a a bad, discouraged day and that the long-term pattern of your life will reflect this. So we don't want to assure our children in a way that goes farther than the scriptures that says, if you've done this, you're in. No, the scriptures say, if, if you are presently hoping in Christ and you see that reality reflected in your attitude and ultimately in your life, you have assurance. Think of like 1 John 5, if you flip over there. 1 John is a book all about the confidence and assurance that a believer has in, in light of who Christ is and what he has done and the fruit that is being produced in your life. In fact, John is always pretty clear on why he's writing. Chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, thank you, John, for telling us why he wrote. He wrote so that if you believe in Jesus, this letter is intended for you to know that you have eternal life. John wanted them to have confidence and assurance. And that's what we want for our kids. Again, we just want them to have it for the right reasons. And so John wrote, and he says it's, it's first about believing. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? This is only possible for those who are, have faith in Christ, who are believing in Jesus. Well, what's in the rest of the letter? We don't have loads of time to, to work through it but he's describing a variety of tests, really, that, that will be reflected in the life of a believer. And they're, they're related to what we believe about Jesus in chapter 4. They're related to our love of others and our, how we hate sin. And so there are, are, is fruit that is produced in the life of a believer. You're not a believer because of that. It's not that, oh, I love others and I hate my sin, therefore God accepts me. No, but it's God has changed a believer's heart such that these things are produced. Therefore, when we see those things produced, not perfectly, but in growing measure, we have confidence that God is at work and we have assurance in those ways. And so that's what we want to encourage our kids, that it's the scriptures that teach us how and why we have assurance, and it's because we are trusting in the gospel and we're seeing the fruit of that produced in our life that we continue to have confidence. Now, the longer you've been a believer, and the more that you have seen that pattern in your life, the more even on a bad day, you still have confidence that God's continuing to work in me, and, and he, is, he is growing me in those ways. Uh, but we just want to be careful, because our temptation is, we want our kids to be saved. And so when our kid says, uh, makes a profession of faith, we want them to know that they're saved, because we want to know that they're saved right? We want to be able to sleep at night knowing that they're in Christ. And we long for that assurance ourselves, but unfortunately the scriptures remind us that we have to to hope and be encouraged in what we've seen in them, but also recognize that especially with children, it will take time for that fruit to ultimately bear. You know, just personally, I have, have five girls, as you guys know, my uh, oldest is, is 15, 
Uh, she is demonstrating a, a love for Christ, uh, understanding the gospel, a desire to, to serve him, to know him. And so we are encouraged by that. But she's also in our home. And some of the things like going to church, are not, she doesn't even think about, do I want to go to church? Because she knows I don't have a choice to go to church or not. And so, you know, we will see more of her maturity and commitment to Christ when she's outside our home and when she's on her own and, and she's making more decisions on her own. Now, do we expect that, oh, she's going to go off the deep end? And, and no, we're again encouraged by what we see, but we recognize that she's in a place where she is still strongly influenced by us and by others. And so we want her assurance to be what the Bible says so that if 10 years from now she's not in our house, she's not thinking, oh, I'm a Christian because my mom and dad always told me I was a Christian and took me to church. She's going back to 1 John and saying, hey, how do I know I have eternal life? Because these things are demonstrated so that if those things are not demonstrated, she is, is wrestling with, would be wrestling with those things. So we just want to ground their assurance, not in our opinion, about them, but in what God's word says is true of, of, uh, of, of those who are in Christ. Now, there are two issues that, that we still have to deal with as parents that can be a challenge. One of those is baptism. Because baptism is, is what? It's, it's an expression, a public profession of faith in Christ. It happens to be something Jesus commands of believers. And so if you profess faith in Christ, what should you want to do? Be baptized. Uh, so if we as parents are, uh, are interacting with our kids who have professed faith in Christ, one of the things that we have to, to wrestle through is at what point do we allow or even encourage baptism in our, our children? Now, our elders have sought to make this at least a little bit easier on you. Uh, in that we have basically said as elders that we're going to encourage kids to wait until around age 12 before pursuing baptism. So your answer as parents can be easy until they're age 12. It can be, hey, Jonathan and the other elders, they've said we want you to wait till age 12. Okay. Um, so that's helpful to a point. Um, so if we are encouraging that, why do our elders do that? One, why, why would we say that? Well, it's because of what we've just talked about, that, that we just want to balance the, the response that kids have demonstrated with their age and maturity and ability to articulate that. It doesn't mean that our elders think every child under age 12 is unsaved and they can finally get saved at 12 and so we would baptize. No, it's just baptism is something that's intended to be a public profession of faith, an event that others and you look back on as this is me committing to follow Christ, and we want them to be able, old enough to understand that and to remember that. We want uh, them to be old enough to, to independently, to an extent, articulate those truths. Uh, and so that's what we have, have said. We've also just seen how oftentimes younger kids and 12-year-olds too, but uh, can have a desire to please others. And so they may want to pursue baptism because uh, somebody else wants that for them or their friend is doing that. And, and so by encouraging them to wait a little bit, it can help with some of those, although those are still real issues for, for all of us. And so it, it, as we encourage that, then we have to, to, um, to just work with our kids to say, okay, they're expressing a desire to be baptized. Maybe they're, they're approaching age 12 or after how are we going to respond? 
Now, I think, again, what, what I would encourage you to balance, and there's not chapter and verse for, for some of these things, is we want that to be motivated by our child, not uh, by their desire to do it, not by pressure from us as parents to do this. So if every time that little black pad passes down the row, and my daughter is sitting next to me, and there's a little checkbox for baptism uh, to get more information about that. If every time I'm elbowing her and saying, hey, you want more info on baptism? Um, that's probably not helpful, right? <laughs> because that's me trying to motivate this from her. What is helpful is if she are, expresses a desire in that, that I can talk with her and engage with her and interact about that, knowing that's her desire, not my desire for her. Now, would I be excited for my, uh, my children to be baptized? You bet, but I don't want them to do it because they know I'm excited for them to do that. And so I have to temper that excitement with trying to, to discern what's going on in their heart. Another thing that we have found helpful on this and the next topic that we'll talk about, which is the Lord's Supper, is to do something intentional to, to walk through the truth of these things with them and in that, see how motivated they are to actually want to do this. So one of those things is uh, there's a baptism application, which is great. Uh, it, ex it requires ex filling out and expressing your life before Christ and the gospel and how the Lord has been at work in your life and kind of is the basis for what they share in a baptism service. That's great. You know, so we're, we're happy for our older kids to get that application and they can fill that out. We don't remind them a ton of, hey, you're gonna fill that out? Um, nope, my, my daughter Anna, how long has she been working on her baptism application? A couple of years. Um, yep, she checked the box, she got the stuff. We're like, hey, that's great, fill this out. You know, If you have questions, we'll talk about it. We're gonna review it before you turn it in, and uh, when you get that done, let me know, and we'll grab breakfast and, or whatever, and we'll chat and talk through that. Um, she's still working on it. Um, you know, part of that is she would like to get baptized in the summer because she works in Awana and she and her friends do and she wants her friends to be there, but it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, we're not gonna, we're not telling you that you gotta do this. We, we would love to see you uh, do this. We wanna help and encourage you, but we're not gonna set a reminder every Monday, hey, let's work on your baptism application because we want this to be you wanting to do this in those ways. Um, so those are, those are, are um, things that we have to, have to wrestle through. There's a, a similar process for youth to serve in our church uh, where they get ministry approval, as some of you are aware of that, some of you that you'll see that coming uh, as they move into youth, where we just wanna see uh, a profession of faith, a desire to obey for them to be involved working with kids in VBS or Awana. That's another thing similar to that with kids where we're, we're not necessarily um, a, you know, able to discern their heart and put an official stamp and seal that they're in Christ, but it's a chance to to see where they're at and what they express and for a parent to say, you know what, I, I see this reflected in, uh, in life at home, knowing that life at home is usually where kids are the worst. <laughs> and so that's that you as a parent and I as a parent will see kids at their worst uh, in a lot of ways and so we wanna, uh, wanna balance that. So um, keeping the ball in their court, encouraging it and and celebrating it while not driving it is the balance that I think we want to, uh, want to maintain. Again, exposing kids to those, those realities, in, like in Awana, um, you know, kids oftentimes uh, don't get to go into the baptism ceremonies, services on Sunday nights, but we love like our third to fifth graders 
Uh, we try to have them be able to watch baptisms on, uh, on the TV in this room. Sometimes we'll live stream those and different things. Not, again, because we want them to say, ooh, I want to do that next week or next time, uh, but because it's such a powerful thing to hear those testimonies and to see how the Lord has worked, and, and we want them to be exposed to that and thinking about that and, and would love for them to, uh, to desire uh, those things in that, in that way. What about the Lord's, Lord's table, the Lord's supper, participating in communion? You know, baptism is a one-time step of obedience that we are called to take. Um, you don't have to sign up to be baptized every time there's going to be a baptism service where you say, I'm still in, right? <laughs> no, you, you do that once initially, and then the Lord's Supper is that ongoing, regular opportunity to both celebrate what God has done, and it's an opportunity for you and I, every time we partake, to do what? To, to examine ourselves, to see, are we doing what uh, Colossians 1 described, what 1 John described, are we believing in Jesus? Are we, are we responding to him as Lord in obedience? Is there sin in our life that we need to confess? Um, now there are some who would say that if you have not been baptized, you should not take the Lord's table because baptism is a command of God and you are in disobedience to that command if you have not been baptized and therefore you can't rightly take of the Lord's Supper. Um, there are some particularly Baptist churches who, who hold that view. Our church does not. You do not hear Tom say before the Lord's Supper, if you are a believer who has been baptized, this is for you. You may uh, attend a church at some point where that is expressed and that means they want you to have been baptized in order to take the Lord's, Lord's Supper. So as, a, as, a, as leadership, we don't believe that a child cannot or should not take the Lord's Supper until such time as they have been baptized. In some ways, that would be easier if you just said, well, once you've been baptized, you can take the Lord's Supper, and then all you gotta do is worry about the baptism one, but you know, that's still complicated, so uh, it wouldn't totally solve, solve the challenges. Um, so how do we handle the Lord's Supper with, um, with kids? Again, this is a regular opportunity for self-evaluation, and we want to help our kids understand and grow in that as well. And again, this is not something that we wanna drive. You don't wanna be sitting with your kids in church and they're passing the bread and the cup and you're, again, elbowing them. Hey, you ready to do this? You wanna do this this time? Uh, nope, you want this to be your children uh, expressing a desire and an understanding of and wanting to do that. Um, again, how, how we have handled that, which is not chapter and verse, it's just trying to apply these different principles, is when, when our kids express an interest in that, we will begin talking about it. It doesn't mean we've never talked about it at home, um, but as far as them doing it, if they say, hey, I would like to do that, we say, that's great, we would love to talk more with you about that. Um, we, we do recognize, though, that it's crackers and juice. And so what do most young children think when they see crackers and juice pass near them? Snack time, right? And so it's not unusual for a child to want to do this because they're thinking crackers and juice, this is great. I would like some of that, I like grape juice. And, um, and so we, just because they express interest doesn't mean great, let's do this. Um, 
our pattern has been, again, to try to put the ball back in their court a little bit. There's a resource that we have used. Uh, I think it's called Let's Get Ready for the Lord's Table. I believe it's on your, your resource list. It's a four-part study that's geared for kids. And it's got some crossword puzzles and different things. It's got some verses to, to read about um, the Passover and the background that that is to the Lord's Supper and how that sacrifice points to Christ's sacrifice and what the Lord's Supper represents and who should take that and why and what our attitude should be. And so what we have done with our kids is when, when we could tell that this is more than just you want snack time, that you are genuinely thinking about these issues, is we have used that study as a way to say, hey, you take this, you know, and you work on your part of this, and when you're done with that, we'll get together and talk about it. And when we finish this study, you know, assuming that, that it goes well and that, that you seem to understand the truth and are, are ready to, uh, to do this, then we would love for you to be able to do that. And, and again, we, don't, we haven't reminded them a ton and ridden them hard to say, hey, we gotta get this done. You know, we don't say, hey, there's another one in a month, so you got four weeks to get this done if you wanna get in in, in, uh, in March. You know, nope, it's just, hey, this is, this is something that we want to make sure you understand this, and uh, we want to have an opportunity to talk more with you about this, and so we want, again, that to be driven somewhat by you, because what will often happen is every time you, the church does communion, your child will say, hey, I'd like to do that, and then they don't think about it again until the next time they see communion go by, and they say, hey, I'd like to do that. Well, if the only time they're thinking about it is when the cracker and juice are passing by, they're probably not ready to, it doesn't mean they necessarily aren't in Christ, it just means they, they haven't, uh, aren't thinking about that in a way that clearly shows, yes, I, I understand the gospel and, and why we do this and I'm eager to be a part of this. Again, you can handle it in, in different ways and, uh, and how you interact with your kids and how you try to, to get to know them. And again, we are, we are now moving through multiple children and seeing that not every child is the same and how we handle those things doesn't always look, uh, look um, identical in, uh, in those ways. And, and you know, just because your kids can articulate the truth of the gospel and display an understanding obviously doesn't mean that they are submitted to Christ. So it, we wanna work through the response that we should see, but we also have to be careful not to hold our kids to such a high standard before we would encourage them to follow Christ, where it's like, you know, if you've ever said to your, to your kid, especially as they get older, something like, who has professed faith, like, well, a, you know, if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't talk to me that way. Like, we've never said something as a Christian that was unkind or disrespectful to an authority. It's like, like one strike and you're out, you know? And it's like, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. That's not Romans 7 that we have just heard. You know, it's, it's not so much that you are responding perfectly in every situation, as much as it's how are you responding when you sin? You know, that's really that distinguishing mark. Do you care that you're talking to me that way? Maybe not in that moment, but do you respond and recognize that as sin and, and repent of that? I mean, it's, it's the response to sin more than it's the lack of sin that helps you to see your child's heart in, in those ways. Um, 
But again, big, big picture, we, we do want to be careful with those things. We don't just want to say, absolutely, do this, because we want you to be a believer and we want you to be a Christian. And so we want you to do these things so that we can have confidence and feel good. No, we want, we want that to be what flows from, from them. You know, there were times in, uh, in, there have been times in history where to get baptized or to partake of the Lord's Supper came at great cost to you. So if you lived in the time of the early church and you said, I wanna be baptized as a follower of Jesus, what was the response? Or if you live in a, uh, a country where Christians are a minority, if you're a, a Muslim background believer and you say, hey, I are a Hindu background believer and I wanna get, I, I'm going to identify with Christ. What is true? <laughs> There's a great cost to you, right? Well, in our church, if you're growing up in a Christian home, and you say, hey, I wanna get baptized, what happens? It's celebrated. And we're going out you know, for ice cream afterwards. And, and again, that's all good, we should celebrate. But it does mean we have to recognize it's a different dynamic that I instead of there being an inherent filter because of the cost and the challenges that keeps people from wanting to do it for the wrong reasons, we live presently at a day and age where there is more pushing someone to want to do that than, than, uh, than keeping somebody from doing that. And we just have to try to be wise. Now that could change significantly in our, our lifetime, our kid's lifetime, to where you know, down the road, it's a, it's a different dynamic and a different discussion in, uh, in some of those ways. But I, I think we do wanna, wanna try to be wise. So any, any questions or thoughts on, on, uh, on those things? Again, it, we, we don't wanna be you know, rigidly, oh, this is how it's gotta be, but we wanna be wise. Yeah, Jason. I think you could absolutely have a conversation like that. Like if you feel like, man, I've seen, um, we, uh, my, if I asked them, they would, they would profess that they are, are a Christian and we're, we would be comfortable going through this with them. I think that would be a very appropriate thing to say, hey, just so you know, you know, I know we had a conversation six months ago, two years ago, whatever, um, and you were, you know, that was, was not the time that uh, I felt it was wise to do that. But I do have this, and at some point, if you'd like to go through that as you think about this, I, I think that's very appropriate. And again, when I say in the driver's seat, it doesn't mean I would never, we would never talk to them, like, you're, they're kids, so their life is not disciplined, they don't always do everything that they wanna do. It's not, again, that I would never say, hey, how's that study going? Uh, you know, have you finished that? Are you ready to set up a time? No, not yet, okay, well, no worries. Uh, let me know. I mean, so it's not that there's no reminders or no engagement. It's just, um, I, and I think you guys can sense the difference between a parent who is really trying to get their kid to do something and somebody who's trying to encourage it, but let them, let it be real for them. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we'll talk about sports in a little bit. You know, there's a difference between a parent who is making your child play a sport and a child who recognize, or a parent who recognizes sports have, um, have some hard things in them. So at some point your child may not wanna play that sport <laughs> and you're gonna say, you're going to practice. You know, it's not that, you know, you don't wanna be, we don't wanna be driving our kids to fulfill all the things that we want them to do. But at the same time, we do have to help and motivate and encourage things that are hard but good and, and we can do that without it becoming, this is what we're, what we're doing. Um, and, and I think again, we, what's the goal with, with our kids and, and community? Well, it's, it's again teaching them that if at any point 
you are living a life of rebellion, as the scriptures describe, uh, against the Lord, or you're not trusting in Christ, then you don't need to do this. <laughs> and that's, again, is why, or you, you not don't need to do this, you ought not do this. And so that's, again, what's a little different about this than baptism. Baptism, it's you've done it once and you've, you've done it. Communion is, hey, every time you do this, it's a chance to reevaluate my own relationship with and commitment to Christ. And again, it ought not be that every time we're like, man, I don't, I don't see much fruit in my life. No, we ought to see that, and it, it's, but it's a, a new chance to think that way. And if we're teaching our kids that, that this is not once you're in, you can just do this mindlessly for the rest of your life. No, it's now you can do this, and here's the attitude you need to have every time. And if you are ever living uh, in rebellion against the Lord, then you just pass that on to the next person, or you repent, and you deal with your sin, and you celebrate Christ in that way. And that's true for your kids, but who else is that true for? All of us. Yeah, it's to be the mindset that we all have. And, and, and Tom does a, a great job as we take communion, reminding us of those things in different ways. And um, that's what we want our kids to know and to, to practice moving forward. Um, and so in, uh, in some ways, that's you know, the, the challenge that we, we can try to navigate. Some other um, just key principles for evangelism, and most of these we've talked about in some form or fashion already, is one is to just recognize the importance of your example. We looked at 2 Timothy 3.14. Uh, we won't take a lot of time to go there today, but um, you know, as you share the gospel with your kids, if it's just words and no life, they're they're not going to get the full picture. They're not going to understand repentance and faith if they're not seeing that modeled by you. We, we secondly need to com consistently communicate the complete gospel. You know, we need to talk about God and our sin and Christ, not just that Jesus loves us. Again, that's part of the gospel, but we need to help them to see the full picture of that. You know, again, the chief opportunity for this is in discipline, but it ought not be the only opportunity. If the only time we're talking about the gospel is when our kids have messed up, um, you know, they, they will not see the full beauty of it and, and they won't see the, uh, uh, the, the way that it shapes all of life. But certainly as we discipline, it's a chance to, to direct to the gospel. You're not, not, don't you ever lie to me again, but it's a sin that you lied to me and, and you know why you lied to me. Because I'm a sinner, yes. And what is our, what do we, what's our hope as sinners? You know, it's it's Christ and and responding in those ways. Um, third principle: we need to understand and encourage evidence of of faith, of salvation. We've talked a little bit about those things, and so it's great when we see those things in our kids to encourage it and to commend the fruit that we see. Again, not manipulating or trying to get them to do it just for our uh, affirmation. But when, if your child is, is excited to read the Bible or learn from scriptures, to encourage them in that, that I'm so grateful and encouraged by God's work in your heart that, that you, you love that and you wanna do that. If you've seen a change in their attitude 
towards you as their authority or towards a sibling and 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 not again perfection but growth and progress and it seems to genuinely be from the heart it's not just I don't want to get caught and the consequences are really getting to me and so I'm going to try harder but if you see you know they're really striving in that way encourage them in those ways so encouraged by by that and, and grateful for those things a fourth key principle is, is really to never move past the gospel. You know, we can be tempted with kids and with others, even ourselves, to think, okay, we need to drill the gospel until they're a Christian, and then we can kind of move on, and now we can focus on all the other stuff we've got to talk about. Now, it's, it's not true that all we need is the gospel, but we do always need the gospel. We, we need the gospel. I mean, you're, we're studying a book of Romans, it's, it's a lot of the gospel. Now, who is this written to? Believers, church in Rome. And Paul said, hey, you still need to think about the gospel. And so by, by always focusing on the gospel and never moving past it, it does take some of that um, need to know if my child is a Christian or not out of, out of the, the stress of that because, hey, guess what? From now until you're 18 and beyond, we're going to interact about the gospel and we're going to keep coming back to that. And so if you have understood and believed that, great. If you have not, we're going to keep rehearsing that as we go. And then a fifth key principle is really to trust in the sovereignty of God, which is where we started our class, reminding ourselves that the work that we long to see in our kids is something that we cannot do. And it doesn't mean we don't be faithful. It means we strive to do all that God has called us to, knowing that those are the normal means that he uses, and yet we recognize this is not something we can accomplish, and so we're not going to um, try to manipulate an outcome. We're not going to feel the weight, ultimately, of something that is God's work in their heart. And so, share the gospel with your kids. From the time they are very young, as, as Timothy said, from infancy, known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Be faithful in that, but do be careful not to coerce a response because you want your kid to be saved. And, and know that the, um, the, the, the gospel, though, is the power of God for salvation and that you are going to faithfully express that using all the opportunities that God gives you to teach that and then teaching your kids about what the scriptures say about believers, about how we can know that we have eternal life, about things like the Lord's Supper and baptism and what those should look like and what our attitude should be in those things. So evangelizing children, a key practical issue that we, we face. Uh, uh, another issue that I want us to just briefly touch on in relationship to uh, kind of our culture's perspective is is that of adolescence and the teenage years, and some of you are a ways from this, and you're praising God that you are. Um, but I, I, I wanna just briefly talk through a couple of things related to this. There's a, a great book called Age of Opportunity by Paul David Tripp that I would encourage you to read as your kids are getting towards the teenage years, and it's just a, a helpful framework for thinking about those years. Um, he titles it Age of Opportunity because that's, he says, the right attitude to have about those years. Um, he writes this in the book. He says, parents are afraid of their teenagers, 
even as they are enjoying the early years of a child's life, they are looking over their shoulders with dread, expecting the worst, knowing that in a few short years, this precious little one will turn into a monster overnight. That's the prevailing wisdom of our age. I can't tell you how many times walking through the grocery with like five little girls, somebody would say, ooh, are you in for it? Just wait. Now there's some truth to that. Life is more complicated now and more emotional now. And there are issues that we deal with now that we did not deal with when they were, when they were young. But if our mindset is, oh no, <laughs> this is going to be dreadful, um, we have missed the, the mindset that I think we, we should have. You know, there's a, uh, uh, we need to recognize first the kind of the myth of adolescence. You know, how, how, does, uh, how do most in our world think about that period of adolescence or the teenage years? Yeah, it's hormones. Rebellion, yeah, we'll, we'll get there too. Yeah, it's kind of this awkward time between childhood and adult, adulthood. The goal is what? Survive. To survive. Right, if your kid turns 18 and they are not pregnant and addicted to drugs, you have done well. I mean, that's, uh, frankly, that is the mindset of many. That if we can get there, woo, we survived, right? And that it's just kind of this period of time where the, um, you know, you can't expect much. It's like this last Almost, it's like this downhill. It's like you matured at about 12, and then you kind of tank, and then you come back up, you know, in those early 20s. Now, that may be your testimony of how you, and, and again, that's, that's not to say that's not uh, common, but it's, it doesn't have to be that way. There's not this random stage between childhood and adulthood in Scripture. You don't see this, this um, you know, kind of vague, um, uh, a phase that is there. You go from being a child to being what? An adult. And so there is to be an expectation and a working towards growing maturity. Now, another common perception is that there's this certainty of teen rebellion, that every teen rebels, that it's a time of self-exploration, that if they don't do that, they will never have their own firm convictions and so you need to almost encourage it or affirm it, and that's what is so critical to that stage. You know, sometimes teens do rebel, and they have more freedom such that that rebellion can be more pronounced. Um, but that is not a certainty, and it can sometimes be a self-fulfilling prophecy if we're on eggshells expecting this to be the horror horrible time of life, and every time you're in the grocery store and somebody says, oh, you're in for it, you, you agree with them and say, yeah, it's gonna be terrible, but we're hoping to get through it, and your kids are sitting there thinking, well, gee, I guess we have to be terrible, because <laughs> that's the expectation. We, again, have, uh, I think, um, let our, our kids down in, in what that uh, expectation is. You know, again, our, as our kids grow, our hope and our prayer and our expectation is that they become what Psalm 127 says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Why do they use that illustration, do you think? What are arrows in the hands of a warrior? Yeah, they're a tool, they're a weapon. How, how is a warrior without those tools? Well, yeah, lacking what they need. And so the expectation that we should be communicating 
not in a heavy-handed manipulative way, but God's intent is that as our kids get older, they are increasingly useful and, and profitable and beneficial, not just to us, like there are little minions, but they are, they, they are able to be a, a, a more fruitful part of, of every interaction that they, uh, that they have with others. These are unparalleled years of opportunity, both for our, our, our parenting and our interactions with our kids. They're at a point where they can understand things and you can talk about things and, in ways that you couldn't five, ten years before. They are also an opportunity for them to be faithful and useful in, uh, in growing in what the Lord has. And so as we think about these things, we need to talk about the teen years with your kids with anticipation, not with dread. If you have younger kids, don't, uh, don't communicate that this is certainly going to be an awkward, uncomfortable time of rebellion, but we're going to get through it and we'll still love you when you're 20, no matter what has happened. Well, you will do that. You will love them, but the, the goal is that we're communicating this is going to be a, a, a great time of uh, high expectations, not for their grades and their schoolwork, but high expectations of what God will do in and through them during that phase of life. That's what we want them to be expecting of that. Now, it's not without its challenges. We don't have a, a pie-in-the-sky attitude that everything will be great. No, there's drama and there's emotions, and it's hard, and there are difficult things to work through, but what a, a precious thing that you get to do that in the context of your home with us as parents trying to engage and, and participate in that and, and to see you grow and mature and then get sent out on your own. What a privilege. Parent with that long-term vision. Reward demonstrations of responsibility and, and cultivate more as they grow. Again, we've talked a little bit about this at times in the past with discipline and training. Um, you know, help them to see that the, res the, the responsibility that they demonstrate is, is going to be rewarded, not in a way that is, again, manipulating them, but just helping them to see the biblical view that when you are faithful, that leads to other opportunities and to, uh, to, to, to growth and and joy as you, uh, as you serve. You know, that can start when they are not to that age yet. You know, for your, if you have a, a young uh, a son who's eight or nine and, you know, they can't uh, be responsible enough to have their own lawn mowing business, but maybe you can find somebody who you can go do some work with them and they can be faithful and work hard and maybe they'll pay them five bucks and they can get a taste of, hey, this is what faithfulness looks like. And I know when our girls were, were not babysitting age yet, our oldest two would go over to a lady's house who she was home but just needed somebody to play with your younger kids so she could do some stuff. And that was a great blessing to us. And uh, I don't think they were even, uh, I think she paid them a little bit. And, uh, but it, it was not like they were getting rich off this, but it was a chance to be faithful and, and to demonstrate some responsibility to see that, hey, if you're trustworthy and, and you work hard, there is fruit that comes from that and people are going to reward that. Um, just briefly, the challenges of the teen years. There are difficult issues that can come up. Um, there are challenging circumstances and conversations to be had. You know, we live in a world that is only increasingly um, made available issues and, uh, and challenges related to sex and 
um, and even drugs and all the big issues that we think of for those years. And we need to navigate those things with, with care and with wisdom. I would encourage you that the, the goal, again, is not survival. It's, it's preparation. Just like with media, we have to navigate protecting our kids and preparing them. We can't just isolate and stick our heads in the sand. We've got to balance protecting them and influencing them. And with most of these things, we need to begin preparing your children earlier than you think you need to. You want them to hear about these things from you to begin building a level of trust that they can talk to you about these things. And we want to be sure to teach a full biblical picture on these issues. You know, take the example of, of the issue of sex. If all you tell your kid your child, son or daughter, as they're growing, you know, maybe they're, uh, they're age 10 and you know that they're uh, on a, in a class or on a sports team where they're hearing some stuff from other boys, so you're talking to them and, and you say, son, just so you know, don't forget that sex is bad and you don't want to do that. Well, is that the full biblical picture? No, it's not. And so they're going to hear other things from other people that resonate more with what is what is true. Now, if you start having conversations where you say, son, there is this blessed gift that God has given, and, and it's called uh, sex or physical intimacy, and it is a, a precious thing to be delighted in in the context of marriage. And son, there's going to be people who tell you that it's great outside of that, and people who, who want you to believe that it's great in other contexts, but it is, it is a lie, and God says this is a blessing that you will get down the road. And, and that's the, the picture that we, uh, that we are presenting, and we're helping them to see that, that there is a cheap substitute to what God has said is good, but that is not the reality in, in those things. Um, I think I, I maybe used the example in our class before, maybe it was with the other class of, of drinking water. You know, if your kid is, is coming in really hot and thirsty, and, and you know, you say, well, you got two options. You can get some nice ice cold water from the fridge or you can go stick your head in the toilet. Well, guess what? Both are water, but which are you going to choose? You're going to get the nice cold ice water from the fridge. Well, that's like sexual intimacy in marriage versus outside of marriage. Is it the same thing? Well, sort of, but it's not what God intends and it's vastly different in those ways. We want to teach the full picture of what the scriptures say about these things. If they're struggling with these issues, or really any other issue that comes up in their, in their, their life, drama with, with friends, selfishness in relationships, all of the gamut of things, be, be careful not to overreact. Doesn't mean it's not a big deal. But if your child comes to you and they say, um, you know, describe something that happened at school or in friend interaction, and, and your reaction is, what? Are you kidding me? You will never spend time with that friend ever again. Do you think, what, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, they're probably never going to ever tell you anything else that is questionable in their world. But if you say, oh, wow, that's a, that's a big deal. Let's talk about that. And, and you listen and you ask questions and you dialogue with them and they realize that mom or dad are there to help me think about these things and they're not going to flip out, but they're going to engage in a profitable way, 
they now will hopefully, again, if, by God's grace, view you as an ally and somebody they want to continue to talk about those things. You, you want to foster that in how you respond and, and try to be careful to keep communication open. Again, that doesn't mean you can be para, uh, paranoid and not do anything about it. Sometimes we think, well, I just want communication to be open, and so I'm just going to try to kind of pander to them so that they're happy and they'll maybe keep talking to me. No, we still parent, which involves discipline and instruction, but we do so in a way that tries to maintain helpful communication in those ways. Um, we got to remember to focus on the heart and the gospel. This is something that Age of Opportunity works through in a, a very helpful way. You know, as we engage and interact, it's not just about the outside. <laughs> it's not just the external behavior. It's about their heart, and their heart is on display in powerful ways at this stage of life. And we also have to be careful to not totally insulate them from consequences. You know, our temptation as parents is to want to protect them from the bad things that come, but sometimes the bad things that come are the deserved consequences of the foolish choices that they've made. And, and Proverbs says that's part of how God helps us to see that these things are foolish. If we are always, um, you, know, you know, protecting them from those consequences, we are, are potentially uh, getting in the way of the tools that God would use to... Uh, to get their attention. Again, that doesn't mean that there aren't difficult decisions of, in parenting of, as to how we, how we navigate those things. You know, if your child gets arrested or my daughter gets arrested someday, am I gonna bail her out? You know, probably, but am I going to fully insulate her from all of the consequences that come from what she deserves? Probably not. And so navigating those things are, are challenging and we need help and counsel sometimes on those things. Last issue, just to briefly mention, is, is sports and other hobbies. Um, you know, it's, it's a great joy to have our kids involved in a variety of, of things. And uh, there's a helpful little book, Don't, Don't Waste Your Sports, by C.J. Mahaney. And he, he writes this. He says, often as parents, we think we have fulfilled our duty by simply attending our children's games and cheering. That's the good parent, right? You show up, you cheer, you drive them home. He says, not so. We are called to have to do so much more. Informed by the gospel, we are called to lead our children wisely. Af uh, before the game, this includes preparing them to keep biblical priorities in mind while they play. After the game, this includes celebrating their expressions of godly character more than we celebrate the skill, their skill or the final score. Every moment our children spend in sports or really other hobbies as well is a teaching moment. And then he gives the following few suggestions. And, and uh, he gives four <coughs> principles that should uh, should, should help us as we think about these things. One is to celebrate godliness in our kids. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, or, or 1 Timothy 4, sorry, 7 and 8, Paul says to Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. You know, we, we need to remember that of utmost importance for our kids is, is godliness, loving God, living in a way that reflects him more so than bodily discipline, whether that is sports, whether that is piano, whether that is dance, whatever that is, that there is something more important 
than the development of that skill. And that doesn't mean that that skill doesn't matter. It just means there's something more important. Christian and I just spent uh, three days at our, our girls' uh, state basketball tournament down near Austin and, and um, you know, watched them play basketball. And the temptation that, that I feel and that I'm guessing you feel or will feel is to focus on the, the event and the game and the skill. And again, that's, it's not wrong to have conversations afterwards about how, what they could have done differently or, or to encourage things that they did well in or, or to celebrate the game or the success. But we need to focus more on godliness. And sports and hobbies are a great avenue for revealing our kids' character. We learn things about our kids every time we watch a game uh, that they're playing. You know, we learn about how they respond when they do well sometimes. We see pride creep in or criticism of another teammate that they're not doing their part and uh, we see these things reflect. Sometimes we see how they respond when things go poorly. <laughs> Do they argue with the ref or, or hang their head in disappointment or, or how do they respond when they lose or whatever those things are. You know, we gotta think as parents, would, would you rather them win with a bad attitude or lose with good character? And what are we communicating to our kids about those things? Would you rather them be the best athlete on the team or the best encourager on the team? If you could only pick one. You know, well, I hope we would say we care more about their character. Would you, would you rather them make the winning shot or genuinely congratulate the one who does? You know, we, we want to focus on celebrating godliness. You know, we don't, we don't want to just say, hey, we're excited because you won. We want to say we're excited because you displayed godliness on that court. You know, it's when, when they're complaining about an official, which most officials, you know, always are against you, right? I mean, you know that. Um, no, but they, they you know, when, when there's something that didn't go their way and they, they move on from that, you know, do we, do we encourage that? And, you know, that was great how you, how you kept fighting hard even though, you know, that didn't go your way. Or do we contribute to it? <laughs> you know, we're after the game and they're talking about how this official, yeah, 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 cost you, yeah, that's right, it was terrible. You know, we, we, we can be honest, yeah, they missed it. <laughs> but that's, that's not the, the key issue. So, so focus on godliness, on, on cultivating character. And again, sports can be a great venue for that. Hobbies can be a great avenue for that because you see those things and you can learn those things. Um, he gives a second encouragement to, to prize your family. Again, not, not setting it up as an idol, not making it more than it should be, but the temptation I would say for most of us in our day and age is to get so busy doing other things. I was talking to another parent, not from our church, and he's got two, two children. Um, they are both playing multiple sports right now. He was at this tournament. Um, you know, they, some are, one of them is on multiple teams for one of the sports that they're playing. And he's like, man, we, we, my wife and I just run them around. We rarely see each other and we're all over the place. And, and it's like, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that. The world says maybe you do. The world says if you want to be good at this sport, this is what it looks like. And you've got to sacrifice whatever to do this. But it's a choice that we make as parents for our families and for our kids. And, and we have to be willing to say, no, we're not going to do that, or we're only going to do that in a, a limited way. We need to be careful to, to accurately count the cost of, 
of those things. And for us, that's been just personally kind of a pendulum sometimes, where it's like, okay, we do something, we're like, wow, that was, that was too much, we're going to cut back, and then we, yeah, we're going to do this. And, you know, and so it's not like it's this perfect, always got it nailed kind of thing, uh, but we do have to be careful that we don't allow sports and hobbies and the expectations others have to drive and dominate our life as it relates to our family, or secondly, to our local church. We need to love your local church. And we need to cultivate engagement and involvement in our local church. Again, does that mean that you can never be at a sports event on a Sunday instead of at church? No, the scriptures don't say that. But it means our priority needs to be, we know it's, it's so important. And really what we want to do is to be engaged in the life of our local church. We want to be able to be involved. As our children age, we want them to be able to participate well in the variety of opportunities that are there for their own growth and health. We're not going to let sports or other hobbies become the dominant characteristic of their life. Again, those are hard things to navigate. Talk to, um, you know, you, you, you enjoy dialoguing with your spouse and with friends at similar stages. Say, how, how do we do this? How do we keep this? If you see us going off on this, speak into my life. Let us know in those ways, but we've got to be so careful. And then lastly, we've got to recognize these are opportunities for training for life. <laughs> That's really why we're doing these things is, you know, some of you may have kids who will earn a living through the sport or their hobby or skill, uh, who, who that will become a dominant part of their service for the Lord. Um, but most of us you know, like my girls, God made Anna 5-3. She loves basketball. Um, she's, she's got a ceiling on how good she's going to be. And, um, you know, and that's okay. We still play basketball knowing that this is not her ticket to like, you know, whatever. Um, but it's a chance to grow in life and to, to demonstrate and to cultivate certain things like diligence and hard work caring for others, respect for authority, all kinds of those lessons that it's, you can learn elsewhere, but it's a great venue for it, and we, we appreciate that. Now, do we have to do those things to learn those lessons? Nope. <laughs> there are lots of different ways those things can be cultivated in formal ways and in involvement and in informal ones, but it, as the Lord has allowed and provided those opportunities, we, uh, we, we want to benefit in those ways. You know, if the goal is just how well can you do at the state tournament and that's all we're striving for, we've missed it. If the goal is how can we grow and learn and, and be, be increasingly conformed to the image of Christ through these things and make use of the opportunities that we have to love others and to proclaim Christ to others, then, okay, this is something that we, uh, we're, we're eager to be a, a part of and are being faithful in. Um, again, there's other issues we could talk about, but these, I think, are some that, uh, that we have, have certainly wrestled through as, as a family and that have seen in the context of, of the church and our culture that are, are pressing on us. Oh, Romans says we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so don't, as parents, just get swept along with the prevailing wisdom of the age. Be willing to say, wait a minute. Time out. We, we want to think about these things through the lens of Scripture and through the priorities God has given. And sometimes that means we can participate in the same ways 
as others in a variety of things that are going on in our world. Sometimes it means we're going we're gonna to stand out as different and we're going to cultivate those things in our kids. Well, enjoy parenting. Be sanctified as a parent. Your kids may not be much different this week uh, than they were six weeks ago. Maybe they've grown up a little bit. Um, but they may not be much different six months from now, but I hope you will be, that you will grow and continue to be refined through your interaction with them. Uh, I hope that you'll keep the big picture and the long-term perspective as you parent, and I, I hope you'll benefit from the relationships that God has given in the local church as you go through these different seasons of life. You know, one of the benefits of the body of Christ is there are people at a variety of life stages that you can benefit from, you can be encouraged by, they can be praying for you, and uh, if there's anything that I can do to be a help and encouragement to you on this journey of parenting, know that I would love to do that. If that's, uh, you know, sitting down and talking through an issue that you're, you're dealing with, with a, a particular child, whether that's, uh, you know, thinking a, in, uh, about issues that they're facing in, in school and how to interact with them, anything that I can do, I would love to, to do that and our other leadership would as well. So again, thanks for being here and uh, let me pray for us and you can fellowship a little more and eat another muffin and we'll, uh, we'll be done. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word that shapes our thinking and for the hope that we have because of Christ. Lord, help us to uh, treasure Christ above all else and to reflect that in the lives of our kids. Lord, I pray that each of the children represented in this class would come to know you genuinely and that they would just delight in you and your word, that they would delight in living for you and proclaiming you. And um, Lord, someday might our kids be in a class like this where they are eager and, and uh, zealous to learn how to pass on what they have learned to the next generation. And Lord, we would love it if, if our kids would surpass us in their knowledge of you and their devotion of you, their zeal for you. Lord, do that work, not for our sake, not so that people pat us on the back, but do that for your sake so that your name is praised with the next generation. And We thank you that you've given us a role to play in that and we long to be faithful. We also recognize that we are ultimately helpless in, in changing our child's heart as we were helpless in changing our own, that that is a work of your grace. And we ask that you would do that because of your kindness and mercy. And uh, give us wisdom this week. Give us wisdom in the years ahead as we go through the various stages and phases of parenting. Might we have wisdom and faithfulness and perseverance in Christ's name. Amen.